Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to part two of the Vinyl Conflicts, American Idiot versus the Black Parade. If you've not yet listened to part one, please go back and do so now. Otherwise, when we start comparing stuff at the end, it's not going to make a blind bit of sense. <laughs> so <laughs> on this part, we're going to be reviewing My Chemical Romances, the Black Parade. And here to tell you a little bit about the album and its background is Jamie. Thanks, mate. So we are going to be talking about um, My Chemical Romances, The Black Parade, like Daniel was saying there. And this uh, was My Chemical Romances' third studio album, which came out on August, no, October 24th, 2006. Quite close to Halloween. Mm. It's spooky. It's 14 tracks in total, or 13 if you don't want to include the last track, the wee bonus track, or hidden track. And it was produced by a guy called Rob Cavallo, or Cavallo, if you want to pronounce it like that. Which is one of the things that links this album with the Black Parade. This is the Black Parade. Uh, American Idiot. Thanks, good catch, mate. (laughs) So it's one of the things that links the Black Parade with American Idiot. It's produced by the same person. Shit, I never realised didn't know that. Aye. When we started talking about this podcast, we had said that we wanted to have albums in comparison that were linked in some way, whether it be like last episode where it was lyrics or lyrical content. These two albums were picked because they are both considered to be rock operas. They were released at a similar time as well, were big hits. But actually, you know, during the research of these albums, they're linked in loads of different ways. So the first one is they are produced by the same person, which kind of comes across. They have exactly the same Metacritic score, which is, uh, you know, an aggregation of some of the critics' websites and stuff, which is 79, which is considered to be a really, really good a Metacritic score and both of these albums were released two years after the album that preceded it which is interesting as well I think you know we, we kind of spoke about the album that was released before American Idiot which was not a big success it was of a similar production value but not quite as strong as American Idiot whereas The Black Parade the album that preceded that was Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, which is so different in terms of its production value. The Black Parade is like an, an astronomical difference in terms of its production value and, and songwriting and quality and stuff like that as well. So there's actually loads of things that link these albums together. Just before we kind of get into discussing it, there's some two really interesting facts about how this album charted. Daniel, you provided us with a bit of insight as to how many records this had sold. And you are saying, was it four million records that this had sold? Four million as of 2016. So probably a bit, a bit more brain eye, but um, some interesting facts. In the US, the Billboard, I think it was the Hot 200, this album charted behind Hannah Montana. Nice. And in the UK, this made me really angry, this album charted at number two behind Robbie Williams. But the album was Rudebox, which... Oh, God. <laughs> some of you guys may remember was when Robbie Williams decided to write his own songs and they couldn't even sell this. In fact, they did sell this album in Poundland, but they sold it for 50 pence. <laughs> That's how bad that album was. It charted just behind that. So I feel that this album was robbed a wee bit based on the, the massive releases for the artists. Do you know what, Jamie? Um one of the biggest Robbie Williams fans living, and I have never listened to a bar of Redbox because of how awful I heard the tunes on the radio, and I was like, no. So I'm actually I'm joining you in your consternation there at how bad that is. I've listened to like this like one of the singles after it, and mate, I, I, I you're not missing much. Oh, it's gadding. <laughs> 
you know, a bit of background about the Black Parade. So, Craig, or in fact, Daniel, we've not heard from you in a bit, so why don't we ask you, mate, what, what would you think your favourite song is of the Black Parade? So, I'm going to be honest and say from the get-go that I fucking adore this album. It's probably one of my top five albums ever. So, that makes it, for me, really, really difficult to choose a favourite track, and it changes quite a lot of the time. But I think, overall, this is probably just me showing my emo roots, but my favourite song on the full album is probably Cancer. And I think the reason for that is it's just, it's for a start, it's fucking heart-wrenching. Like, it's one of the, like, saddest, most depressing songs you've ever heard. But it's very, it's very honest. If you've ever known anyone who's gone through cancer and cancer treatment, it's a fucking miserable process, which is what this song sounds like. And I think there's certain lyrics in it, like that they sound again just honest and just sound quite brutal and quite real. Like in the second verse where he says, "I'm just soggy from the chemo," it makes you feel uncomfortable to listen to that, but in a good way. I'd probably say that's also my favourite arrangement on the album, as far as the dynamics go. We really nice use of the strings in there as well, and how it builds up from being like a, a piano ballad at the start to be in like more of a almost kind of classic rock ballad sounding by the end uh, so Cancer is probably my favourite song on the album as of this moment if we recorded this tomorrow I might say something different I, I think like the, you pointed the production value in that song is, is quite interesting because I think like Gerard Way and obviously the rest of the band when they produce it are really big on double tracking his vocals and in Cancer they kind of they knock it out of phase a wee bit and it sounds really weird I've heard a couple of isolated tracks of the vocals and it was a really interesting production choice but I think that given that this album tells the story of someone who has died of cancer and that song is them looking back on their death that knocking that vocal track out of phase was actually quite cool I really enjoyed how that that layered into the whole the purpose and story of that album so that's a that's a good shout man what about you what's what's your favorite so Daniel and I are in full agreement here. Cancer's the one that I pick out. Whenever I'm doing nothing like this or even just listening to albums, there's always a lyric or a, a thing that, that just hits me in the gut and, and gets the kind of eyes a bit watery and stuff. And I think there's a really honest, grieving genius behind that line. The hardest part of this is leaving you. I think anybody who's known any kind of loss can really resonate with that. The song's brilliant in itself. The structure of the song's great. I think Gerard Way's vocal performance on it is absolutely gut-wrenching like we were saying about Billy Joe Armstrong in the last episode I think he sells what he's singing I thoroughly believe every word of this song this isn't an album that I'm going to be holding as high esteem as, as Daniel does but I think this song certainly is I've got it on playlists and stuff and I just think it's a real standout and amongst a, a bunch of really great sad songs this is the saddest one but also one of the best crafted ones nice one so used to are in agreement. I am not going to pick that song but I'm going to pick the song that came after it which is Mama nice. to kind of echo what Daniel was saying like I love this album I have loved it since it came out I don't particularly love much else of My Chemical Romances thing the screamo scene and the emo scene wasn't really me but this song this album this entire album I genuinely consider it a masterpiece I think it's a fantastic album it's one of the best concept albums I think and it, but it has a mass market appeal because all the tunes are great Mama for me and again you could ask me this tomorrow and I would give you a different answer but Mama for me is so fantastically weird and different to any of the songs in the rest of the album and actually anything that was of, of that scene that it's an absolute standout for me Liza Minnelli guest stars as the mother on that track how weird is that like see when you think about that like it's bizarre 
it's pretty weird, but it's really cool. And like that track, he puts on voices, and then the mother makes an appearance in the song. It's so theatrical. And we compared American Idiot and Green Day's performance on American Idiot a lot to Queen. But I think this album and, and My Chemical Romances pivot away from the emo slash screamo scene to being what I consider the closest thing that we've ever got to Queen since Queen. It's just that it's that song, Mama, just it's so fantastic. It's so camp and over the top. It's a it's a brilliant song. It really puts me in mind of like a lot of Tom Waits stuff where it's super theatrical. It's more of a performance than it is like a song. And having seen them do it live as well, they dress up and they put a lot of effort in it. There's a guest, a female guest singer that comes out onto the stage in a big elaborate dress and stuff. It's great. It's a brilliant song. However, it's a difficult favourite to pick because like other big favourites I've got is I Don't Love You. Yes. It's a fantastic song. That's up there for me. Disenchanted is a great song as well, which is really interesting considering it is the second or third last song on the album, which is, you know, we spoke about this year in American Idiot. It's really weird to see really good songs late in an album. Mm-hmm. It's tough to pick a favourite, but that's that's what I would go with. It, it seems like we, we, we may be getting to an early decision, but this album is just fantastic. So it's interesting for me because you guys obviously have a lot of history with this album, something that you've lived with for a number of years. I've heard it maybe five or six times, which will surprise a few folks. I, for some weird reason in my kind of youth when this album came out, distanced myself from my chem. I don't really know why. I think I maybe had been called an emo jokingly too many times and thought, ah, fuck that. That's just going to put the icing on the cake if I buy that. I have to say, I'm really annoyed with myself. I would agree in part with what Jamie's saying about them being very Queen-like. They're more Queen than Green Day. They're definitely more Queen than Green Day. And they do some phenomenal guitar work on this album, as they do on their other records as well. But there's a really kind of melancholic soul to the album. And I think I just invented a genre there. There's a really nice outpouring on this album. I feel like the lyrics are dead emotionally raw and the performances match that. And the theatre helps that as well. It's an album I wish I could go back to when I was 20 and buy and never mind what everybody else thinks. Do you know, I'm just going to say something that's only slightly unrelated, but while we're talking about My Chemical Romance and we're recording a podcast, do you know that it was recently revealed that Gerard Way is Joe Rogan's cousin? Nope. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Honestly, like it popped up, it was a podcast with uh, Kevin Smith that Joe Rogan done maybe at the start of the year. And he was like, oh, by the way, Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance and Joe Rogan cuts in and sounds so embarrassed right away. He's like, yeah, yeah, he's my cousin. And then he's just kind of like, I don't really know him. Like we've only met like once or twice. That's a good one. That's one I missed in the research. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so funny because if you imagine the type of person that probably beat up Gerard Way in high school, it would have probably been someone like Joe Rogan. <laughs> Absolutely. Joe Rogan would have topped his list. <laughs> I don't think being his cousin would stop him either, to be honest. So No, definitely not. Craig, you had kind of alluded to this a wee bit as well about like how melancholy some of the songs can be and the lyrical content. I think like for me that highlights something that's amazing about this album, and I've said it already, but this is a really strong concept album. It follows the story, if it's ironic, the first song is called The End, but it follows the, the story of a guy's death and then reminiscing on his life right to the very, very last song, which is called Famous Last Words. And it's so cleverly written. It's stitched together really well. The songs flow amazingly. I can't sing the praises of this album highly enough, which is really weird because I don't really listen to anything else that's like it. Safe to say that we all really enjoy this album. I think it would be quite a good time to talk about some of the least favourites that were found on this. And I'm cool to go first. There are so many good songs on this. It's really, really hard to pick 
a least favourite. I think Welcome to the Black Parade suffers for the same thing as American Idiot does. It's really overplayed, but for that first single piano note, you know that you're in for an absolute ride. It's a great tune, but if I was to pick a least favourite out of all the songs that I'm looking at the track list now, for me it would be House of Wolves. Really? Just because it's the only song I, the only song when it comes on, I'm just like, I could skip this. Whereas the rest of them are like, oh no, this is a tune, oh this is a great bit, I love the chorus or I love the guitar work or whatever, but House of Wolves for me, I could I could skip it every time. That's weird. See, at one time, House of Wolves was probably my favourite song on the album because it was probably like the most kind of punk, most rocky one. It's definitely not my favourite anymore, but my least favourite track, if I were to say, I think it would have been Blood, the hidden track, but I kind of, because it is a hidden track, I disqualified myself from being able to say that and just non-canon or whatever. Again, I really like this album. There's nothing overall that I dislike, but I would probably pick Sleep as my least favourite song because I think it's just a little bit too long. I'd say it's probably the most boring song on the album and it's not one that I would ever revisit by itself. Like every other song I would maybe pick out just to listen to if I had five minutes to kill, but that one I probably wouldn't bother with. That's a fair point, man. I know what you mean. Like I'm struggling to remember exactly. I mean, I've remembered now, but I was struggling to remember how it went. Whereas the rest of them, when I see the, the title of the song, I can kind of play it out in my head. So and that makes sense. Craig, what about you? There's a couple of tunes that I'm even struggling to play them through in my head. House of Wolves definitely jumps out as one of them that I just can't quite get it back. I don't know how you feel about this. This is maybe a, a bit controversial. I think Teenagers, as good as a song it is, great blues track, very Queen. Can I totally imagine Queen playing that? Doesn't he really fit? Aye, I would agree. Yep. I don't hate the song. Like, I like the song. The song's brilliant. A great anthemic bit of music, but it's just. It's too much of a tone shift for me. Yeah, it sounds to me like it was too good a song to leave off the album. Yeah. Like, it feels as if they had it written and they were like, oh, like, fuck, like... Because it was, it was a single and it had a music video that used to be on, like, Kerrang! and that all the time. And it is a really good song, but I know what you mean tonally with the rest of the album. I don't really rank it that highly. It's really interesting you point out, because I feel the same way enough. Lyrically and musically, it's probably the black sheep of that album. And actually, I don't as, as part of the research in this, Gerard Way agrees with you, Craig. He says that this song almost didn't fit on the record, but he felt that it was really important to include about, you know, the relationship between youth and gun violence was really important to kind of highlight. And I think, like, lyrically, the song definitely doesn't fit. And musically, it doesn't fit great either. And Daniel, you hit the nail on the head. It was too good to leave off that album. As a song, it saves itself by being really, really good. But as part of the album, it's probably the outlier for sure. I can definitely see why that's a least favourite. And if, if Jerry Way says it, man, he he wrote it. So I feel like I'm in good company there. And I might be as being as controversial as I thought. It'd have been interesting if they'd swapped it for the hidden track. Probably then would have been the best hidden track of all time. Aye. That's a shout, by the way, because Blood Fits, the, the hidden track, does actually fit quite well well it's quite close to cancer and it's really descriptive lyrical content i think you're right man if they had a swap teenagers with blood and it would be greatest hidden track folk be looking for the single <laughs> it's not even on the album we spoke about this in part one where we talked about the california shift and the vocal stylings of jerry way and i think like there's one thing that really infuriates me and it only happens like once or twice in the album but the way he over enunciates words that start with a wh like where where it's like, you know, that Family Guy sketch where Cool Whip, oh. and he really over-enunciates the H, and it's, I think it's in, it's in the first song, the end, and it's in like the, the second line, he over-pronounces where, and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> I'm stressing it so much. 
I'm in the motor battering on my steering wheel because I just can't quite hack how badly he pronounces that word. There's that California shift came back again, and I suppose it's another thing that really links these albums. It's creepy how many links that there are. They were produced by the same guy, and if I'm honest, it's a nice segue into like production value. As far as arrangements go, I think it's unreal. To me, this is a, as close to a perfect album as you're going to find as far as the sound goes. There's no bits where I listen to it and go, oh that's too loud or that's too quiet I think everything sounds great and I think unlike what I said about the Green Day album I think this actually does do a really good job of capturing quite a live energy about it maybe it is because it's more theatrical and more emotive by nature with its lyrics and the kind of tone of everything although this isn't so much production there are a few things just on the back of what you said about Gerard's way there's a few songs where he might enunciate a certain way or use certain accents that do make me cringe a little bit. The biggest example of that would probably be the first track, The End, where he kind of does like that. And it probably is for comedic effect to an extent. He does that kind of country and western accent to start off. And when I hear it, it does kind of make me cringe a little bit. And somebody, now I don't completely agree with this because I love this album. It might have been my brother said years ago that he found it really hard to listen to My Chemical Romance for like several songs in a row because Gerard Way has quite a jarring voice. Like it's not always easy to listen to unless it is an amazing album like this. But if you were to watch him, you know, do Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge or anything like that, it can get a wee bit grating. On a more positive note though, the guitarist Ray Toro, I think he's a phenomenally underrated guitar player. He plays exactly like Brian May. Like if Brian May dropped Deed the Mora, I reckon he would get into the Queen lineup quite easily. I agree with you, Jerry Way's um, vocal silence can, can definitely get tiring, but that's a really good point. I think both Frankiero and Ray Toro are massively overlooked and underrated guitarists, especially for that scene. Technically, the two guys are fantastic and they've got a great tone and it really shows uh, it's really hard to get two guitars sounding good together at the same time on an album and this album does it really well and they guys like you say man they are very underrated they're very very talented guitarists craig what's your thoughts man on production i suppose i'm using american idiot as a kind of bit of context i find it dead interesting that it's the same guy because i think if you think of the two albums or even if you were to listen to american idiot and then this one i think the production on this is better i think it's crisper i think i want to say it's less samey aye Start to finish, American Idiot roughly sounds the same. There's a couple of songs where he obviously changes tack instrumentally and stuff. This this has got a wee bit more diversity in terms of how the songs sound. They still sound cohesive. They still sound like an album. They still sound like there's a narrative. It's just epic. Even that first song only lasts about a minute and a half. You're away. You're in that zone. And Gerard Way's voice, although the, the kind of Yankee drawl gets on my nerves a bit, the first time I heard some of the tunes on this, I was like, you know, like that. The way they treat his voice, it sounds like he's singing for another world. I know that sounds a bit cheesy to kind of say, but no, no, I get it. it sounds like he's, he is a ghost looking back. There's a real spooky, otherworldly kind of presence in that voice and with all the other epic shit that's going on when about it. So I, I love the production on this. It's a wee bit colder, maybe starker and a wee bit more kind of haunting. I imagine that a lot of the songs on this album in black and white. I don't know if other folk do that. I always think it is like a, a sepia tone. I totally know what you mean. American Idiot for me is red and this one's kind of black and white, kind of faded out, kind of sepia without the orangey colour, I suppose. I'm in another world when I listen to this thing, so the production just zones everything else out. Just what you said there, something reminded me of this that I didn't mention. Do you remember when we were talking about the Manic Street Preachers, the Holy Bible, and 
I talked about how I got really, really fed up of the like samples and the like sections of stuff that was kind of brought in that wasn't instruments, basically. Yeah. It's used very, very sparingly in the Black Parade and it makes it really effective. The kind of life support machine flatlining that starts the album and then what's the song later on in... I forgot what it was. It might actually be Sleep. I know I said it was my least favourite song, but there are like random like walkie-talkie sounds in the background in that. I think that's the start of Mama. Aye, there's definitely bits throughout the album anyway where they use little kind of samples of like non-instruments and non-singing and I think when it's used sparingly like that is really, really effective. Uh, it gives, gives it an atmosphere. Exactly. I think it works really well with the, the fact that it's a concept album. And I think like when we were talking about production value and the similarities and differences between American Idea, I think the thing for me that really sets it apart is My Chemical Romance set out to make a concept album that had a constant narrative. And that kind of plays up to the fact that you're saying there's these wee samples and these wee found sounds that kind of helps you buy into the narrative. Uh-huh. Like he does, he does the voices of the mother and mama, and then Liza Minnelli comes in and actually plays the voice, and that helps you buy into that story. Aye. Whereas I think Green Day just went, we play guitar, bass, and drums, and they didn't take a lot of chances when it came to you know the instrumentation or you know these wee particular sounds that could have bought in more to the narrative. And I think that the My Chemical Romance album is much much better for that. The Green Day song kinds of sounds like it's all the air's been hoovered at it. There's not a lot of space for the instruments, whereas the Black Parade's really full and really rich texturally really rich with instruments and it's mixed really well so is, so is American Idiot but this album it's got that cohesion just so, it sounds so good it does the job that music really should be doing which is tell the story that they want to tell and it's probably one of the best examples of that I can I can actually think of when people talk to me about concept albums I tell them go and listen to The Black Parade because it's as good a concept album as you're ever going to get I'm going to draw a comparison that's completely unfounded here and I've not done as much research on this as I maybe should have before I'm about to say it. Now, my all-time favourite band is the Ramones, and the Ramones had done, I think, like, four albums that critically, like, people love. They had, like, a very good underground following, but they could never quite break the mainstream. And then their fifth album was their attempt at a breakthrough album, and it was produced by Phil Spector, who brought in a lot of the the legendary kind of wall of sound stuff that he did, and he increased the instrumentation, which looking back on it, it wasn't the right move for the Ramones artistically, but I think there's something that could be said for Mike Romance. The reason I'm saying this is you mentioned about taking chances before this album, like My Chemical Romance weren't that big in the same way that Green Day had been throughout the 90s and early 2000s before American Idiot. There is a big element of like taking a chance and it really, really paying off in the case of My Chemical Romance, whereas I feel as if Green Day were maybe restricting themselves a little bit more because they kind of they had that punk following and they had been so big doing similar things for so many years so i think there was definitely a lot more chance taken on this i think it, it really really paid off in their case because obviously it, t- it took them from like a i don't want to say underground band but a less well-known band to be in like in the charts and having an album that gets to number two in the uk album chart like that's that's crazy considering do you know what i mean did three cheers for sweet revenge chart in the uk i, I haven't checked but i doubt it I mean, it probably did, but it would have been like it, it would have probably tickled the top forty, and like the the big single for that there was uh, Helena and uh, I'm not okay, which was um, was it was a big hit, but it wasn't massive, and it didn't come close in terms of its um, reception that the Black Parade did. So they had some commercial success, but nothing like 
uh, the Black Parade. And to think actually as well that it was they were only two years apart blows my mind every time I think about it. It's as if he was taking good songwriting smack <laughs> for two straight years and then he brought out this masterpiece. It's incredible. Number 34. I've just checked there. Three cheers for Sweet Revenge got to number 34 and Black Parade got to number two. Aye, wee bit of a shift there. <laughs> Aye. What is it they say? I don't know, 50 million Americans can't be wrong or something like that. Something yeah. like that, I for sure. That's a great, great album. You're right. I think just just to um, highlight something that we didn't talk much about the American idea, the artwork for this album, it's almost that Ron Seal thing. It does exactly what it says on the tin. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's, the concept's stronger than just the music. Uh-huh. There's a real... Um, there's a real kind of advert for this album right on the front yeah. page. I mean, when you say, this is maybe even as informed my, my kind of reading of this, with the, the kind of the black and white and kind of grey tones of the, the, the mm-hmm. front cover. It's maybe informed subconsciously how I hear these songs and how I kind of envisage them in my brain. But um, I just like that. I like a good album cover. It's something I think is really important in music and is becoming a, maybe a bit of a lost uh-huh. art. So it's nice to see that as well, that it extends the, the whole thing, the whole package is. Uh, is really tight really deliberate and intentional it's really well branded like the album there's a gatefold vinyl edition and it actually in the cd the the booklet folds it and that scene of the parade stretches you know i think it's like four or five cd widths you know and it's like it's a big picture you know and the gatefold album's the same uh, um, it's got a pullet that's it's like a big massive poster and it's really detailed I remember uh, I used to have this um, on vinyl as well and the artwork's great the band dressed up uh, I went to see them play this album live I seen them at the SECC and they were dressed up in the parade uniforms and they done a bit of a stage show I suppose like I say you know the, the female um, character came out to play Mama in the dress and at the, the very first song he's wheeled out in a gurney nice and it's him, he's, he's singing, you know, before he gets up and does that boy band bit where he stands up and he's like, you know, I'm, <laughs> he's, in, he's in a gurney and he's dressed in a hospital gown and then they reveal, you know, they're all wearing matching uniforms. So there's definitely a lot of theatrics and a lot of thought has been put into it, but it's been like, it's been really well packaged holistically to the album artwork, to the songs, the lyrical themes, to how it's been presented live. And it's just all these extra layers of how this is like one of the best albums. And actually like, this is something I wanted to talk about briefly as well. Like 2006 was a massive year for albums. Like we had The Black Parade, you had the Arctic Monkeys debut album, The Strokes, First Impressions of Earth. You know, you had Stadium Arcadium by the Red Hot Jelly Peppers, which was huge. Peril Jam's self-titled album. You had 10,000 Days by Tool. So 2006 was a, and just an incredible year for tunes. And for this album to stand out as one of the best albums of like the last, I would say, uh, for rock music, one of the best albums of this century. It's amazing, considering the competition that it had. That, you know, just in that year, what a powerhouse for the album cover to, you know, the live performances. I've just Googled this. This is, if you want to hear how good this album is, of course, this is a personal opinion from someone, but a guy called Gary Holt, who plays in Slayer and Exodus last year, like, it was all over the metal magazines and that. Gary Holt defends My Chemical Romance's The Black Parade. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, this guy who's been in, like, mad fucking, like, metal bands for 30 years had to come out and go, no, guys, honestly, it's really good, <laughs> like, for somebody in that scene to come out and say that, because those are obviously the type of people who would be like, oh, emo bullshit, fake rock, whatever. Like, I remember reading the article at the time and just thinking it was dead funny, because he was talking about how, like, his daughter had bought the album and he was dead disappointed in that, and then he sat down and listened to it and was like, oh, no, actually, that's really good. <laughs> 
MCR are too emo what Green Day are now a punk they are like the superstars the triple A top ticket this is no an emo or a screamo album but they were that kind of band and they broke away for that for, for that, and they had massive mainstream success and I don't think it takes away for either of the bands but just like the, the, these two albums are great albums and they're like the pinnacle of these bands careers because Danger Days the album after it as far as I'm concerned is, is Dug Me <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Uno Dos and Trey's after American Idiot were just nah, they're on the green. washed out like I'm I'm Eric. I was never into Green Day anyway, but I think for me that that was that was their one and only diamond. You know, Dookie's good, but I think that these two albums were like the pinnacles of their career. And actually, I think another thing that would maybe tie this together with American Idiot is remember I said how American Idiot got made into a musical. Aye, think how good the Black Parade would be as a musical. Yeah, I'd watch that. It's already a musical. It just needs to be on the stage. It would be so good. All the emos would be there with their mad, ripped fishnet tights on (laughs) and and their old army jackets. Like, this would have been such a good musical. Way better than American Idiot would have been on stage. This is the thing, right? Obviously, the coronavirus and whatever has pretty much stopped this from happening, but My Chemical Romance got back together at the end of last year and had announced like a big worldwide tour. I'm kind of similar to what you said, Jamie. I don't really care for anything My Chemical Romance have ever done except this album. When that got announced and folk were like, oh, are they going to come to Scotland? Are we going to get tickets and whatever? I was like, I will, the day they go, or oh, we're going to do a, which sounds like what, what you've seen, if they ever said, we're going to go and play the Black Parade in full, like, I'll be there and I'll be in the front row and I'll fucking punch any emos that stand in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is the show I want to see. But bog standard My Chemical Romance playing like a bit of the Black Parade, a bit of Danger Days and whatever, I, I don't care. I don't want to go to that gig. I just want to hear all these tunes played in full. I remember when they played that live, they played the whole album from start to finish and I remember being like, I, I could have watched this in the house but the theatrics, you know, they really brought that to life and then they came out and they'd done an encore. I mean, I wouldn't really want to call it an encore. They came out and done a second set that was, you know, songs for um, Three Cheers and the, the album before it and, you know, it was great. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic and I would absolutely go and see them again and I remember getting excited when I heard that they were they re-released the Black Parade and they had said they were going to do a comeback and interestingly enough the video the, the wee trailer kind of thing for when their announcement on the I think it was on their YouTube channel it was the first note for the song on the piano on the Black Parade Welcome to the Black Parade do you know the song? Yeah. Uh, and see, as soon as you hear that, you knew exactly what was happening. And I think that that kind of says a lot about how well packaged and how well received that album was. Have you seen, I, I know I'm about to talk to two people in their 30s about TikTok, uh, so you can feel free to like excommunicate me for this, but <laughs> i seen something now. I don't have TikTok, but I see the videos that make it from TikTok to Facebook. I was going to say, mate, what, what's a TikTok? <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's like Vine. I remember you liked Vine a few years ago. Oh, I like to old back then, I. <laughs> But what it was was there had this was like a thing that got passed down and initially it was that the most recognizable melody is four notes and it's the Beethoven do 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 but somebody on TikTok had followed that up and said no it's actually Britney Spears with three notes do 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 and then somebody was like actually if you grew up emo you only need one and it was that the G note from the start of Welcome to Black Parade. <laughs> 
there's videos of folk playing it to their pals, like just the audio recording of somebody playing the three wee bits of music and just filming the reaction. And as soon as it's that G note, it's like, oh, fuck. Like, they know it from one note. What other tune can you say that about? Like, Well, that's what I was going to talk about for a wee minute. It's just how revealed this album is, but also how much it means to folk. I think we've mentioned in previous episodes that we've all worked for the same charity at some point and we've all worked with young people in music. If you ever walk into the studio where I still work and you guys used to work and hit that note when the stage piano they don't turn around like meerkats or they'd react really viscerally and really emotionally and it's strange because it's starting to kind of rub off on me there is that really strange kind of ethereal you're at a funeral when you're listening to this album a lot of the time and I think there's something really funereal and really reserved and reverent about that the opening of that song and that note it never fails just to get every emo in the place turning around and going oh American idiot the songs on that that go oh I love this tune this is brilliant the tunes on this album is a totally different reaction there's a wee string going right to the souls of these people that are just attached to this album I think if um, Jesus of Suburbia is the punk Bohemian Rhapsody then Welcome to the Black Parade is the emo Bohemian Rhapsody like aye that's fair you say for the first note of that song you know what it is and actually that that song the comparisons to Queen only lost on me I always thought that this album was the most Queen album that had came out since Queen you know and the the way that that song goes is actually structurally quite similar to Bohemian Rhapsody and it's got all that you know the the, the, the Queen theatrics and it's kind of like the the glam rock theatrics that have kind of been lost and that, this album really brought it back in a really really big way and I love it and I think all the points he made were absolutely on the money like it's such a good song it's such a good it's in a, such a good place in the album and the reverence for it is really strong as well like I've no spoke to a single person when, when I was telling him about what episode 2 was going to be I've no spoke to a single person that said oh do you know what I don't like the Black Parade Aye. I've, I've spoke to a few people that hadn't heard it and I said you know go listen to it or I've put it on for them and they've been like well that's actually really good and it is it's universally liked there's one mere wee thing that strikes me about both these albums they've got that draw people of a certain life experience or a certain maybe high school experience certainly the guys that were the kind of outcasts the weirdos and that kind of stuff you know I was part of a group like that that was described once as oh they fucks in the corner <laughs> the leather jacket wearing long hair crew and it, without wanting to get too above the station of both these albums there's a real sense for me that there's something to believe in mm-hmm. in both of these records there's something that's unifying and also just kind of acknowledges people's struggle whether it's a political or a, a disenfranchisement with, with the one album or a more personal emotional kind of turmoil with the other I think there's a bit of hope in both of these albums and I think that's something that really again unites them and we can make kind of comparisons and thank God for these albums whoever um, particular deity or not you would think but I'm really grateful that these albums exist because they tell us a lot about the power of the disenfranchised Person. I agree, man. The world's a better place for these albums. There's definitely optimism to it, and something that's it's been banded around a fair bit on on the internet. You know, one of the things that somebody says, and it's quite meaningful, and then a bunch of other people say it and try to pass it off like it was their thought. But there's a band who Craig, I know from personal discussions, you're you're not a fan of called Twenty One Pilots, uh, and Twenty One Pilots did a cover of Cancer, which I had said was my favourite song on the album. To be honest, I don't really like it that much. I don't think it's that good a cover. It's one of the things you go into the YouTube call and everybody argues over which one's better although that doesn't really matter and somebody said on it the reason that they're different is that the way the guy for 21 Pilots sings it is that he sounds like he's he's given up and he's concluded to the fact that he is going to die whereas the way 
way Gerard Way sings it in that character that he's playing, there is a fight and there is like an optimism. I don't know if optimism is the right word because it's not positive, but there's like the hope and the fight. And I think that's what a lot of people who grew up and even not necessarily growing up listening to this album, but people who have had hard times when these songs come on, there is a, a degree of something in there that makes you want to stay in the fight. And I think that's so, so important. I think I, maybe the way that, and I, I don't know the 21 Pilots uh, version, but I think that maybe the way that he's singing it is that, well, J- Jerry Way's singing it as if he's got something to lose. And the guy for 21 Pilots is maybe thinking about it as in the position he, uh, he's already lost. If you're following the, the narrative of the character, he has already died and he's looking back at his suffering. That's really important. It starts with him dying. It starts with him being collected by the parade. It's him going through the recollections of his life and cancer is what killed him. And it's him looking back Whereas if you're not singing it as part of that story, you could be like, I have cancer and I have now died. It reinforces the importance of the fact that this is a story. Man, what a good story it is. So on that note, we should probably get on. We've kind of done it inadvertently, but like full on comparisons and what you like about both albums and how you feel they compare to each other. We have spoke at length about how these two albums are concept albums and specifically they are referred to by the bands independently as rock operas they are similarly themed American Idiot is a rock opera but it's no coming anywhere near as close as the Black Parade got to absolutely nailing down what a concept album is all about for the artwork to the costumes to the songs to the way it feels it is one of the best examples of a concept album in a rock opera ever American Idiot made it to the stage but it's a damn shame that the Black Parade did they make it to the stage because what a performance that would have been as told as a musical I totally agree my overall thoughts on that I mentioned this when we were just summarising what we thought about American Idiot and I think it's fair to say Jamie both you and I are putting in votes for for the Black Parade as our favourite of these two albums I can hear a song from American Idiot and just go oh you know there's a good song you know what's next on my shuffle or my playlist or whatever as soon as I hear a song from the Black Parade I'm like man I want to go and listen to that album like I've listened to it in full three or four times in the past couple of days because I knew we were going to record this and I know for a fact next time I've got a playlist on and like I Don't Love You comes on I'm like man I'm going to go and listen to that for the start again and I think to me that's what makes it a, a better album I think they're both good I think they're like they both have a lot of great songs on them but The Black Parade I can't seem to listen to one bit of it without wanting to listen to all of it It's strange for me because I've lived with American Idiot since like day one I'm pretty sure I bought it the day it came out Nice Because of all the hype that had been run about it it's one of the very few times I've done that Still have never owned my chem. If I'm comparing the two now, it's hard because I actually am a wee bit soured on American Idiot in a way. I think it's good and I'll still revisit, particularly Jesus of Suburban and particularly Give Me Novocaine. Some tunes on that that I really love, as I've said, but I actually want to spend a lot more time with the my chem album. And maybe because it's newer and I've not quite wrung out all the goodness of the album yet. I think what I would say finally, they've probably inspired a lot of folks to pick up a guitar or, or sit at a drum kit or pick up a bass or start writing I think there's loads of good writing on both albums these albums that are filled with angst filled with drama and filled with pain filled with frustration the upshot is that it probably allowed a lot of people to process a lot of stuff that they're going through individually and express that through music I would include 21 Pilots and 21 Pilots on the Maverick by a long shot they came out of that post-America idea post-Black Parade thing of fuck we can pick a guitar and actually say something whether that's it's okay to grieve whether that it's okay to fight the power 
they're two sides of the same coin for me. I think probably the Black Parade shades it in terms of quality. As far as overall quality then, is this a clean sweep? Do we all vote Black Parade for superior album? I think so, for me, yeah. For sure, for me as well. American Idiot is good. It's actually a really good album. It's a really strong album and it's got fantastic singles. Like I said, if I was to sum it up in a sentence, if I was to sum up the Black Parade, it is a great album and one of the best concept albums to ever be released. For me, it's a clear winner. Do you know what the funny thing about this is, though, in, in my opinion at least, Jamie, you said you don't really care for Green Day overall. Green Day are one of my all-time favourite bands. As I said, I've been to see them multiple times. I used to play some of their tunes when I was in a band. To me, if you were to say, who do you prefer? I'd say Green Day. But when it comes down to these albums, like it's not even close. Over the course of these past couple of hours we've spent recording this, I think I might have come to the realisation it's my favourite album. <laughs> Which it's kind of funny because I feel as if like we've sat and talked about this for two hours and like we're in complete agreement by the end. There was so much disagreeing in the last one. We're all very much on the same page here. We are aligned. Yes. I think it's really good that all three of us is West of Scotland males of a certain generation all picked one of the saddest albums in the world. <laughs> <laughs> a good thing happening there with the mental health of males in Scotland. That's a good sign for me. A healthy appreciation for sadness. Aye. I've got a couple of wee cool shout-outs that I'd like to do if that's all right. That reminds me of a very particular story about a podcast we all recorded when we were at real time when somebody plugged our Twitter at the end. Oh, aye. That's right. <laughs> That was a good day. Someone who also had said very much for the full like hour that was recording at the end was like, oh, by the way, follow me on Twitter. <laughs> but sorry, Jamie, on you go. No, you're cool, man. I had got a couple of close friends and that to listen to this and they gave us some really, really constructive feedback about, you know, the format and stuff and they really enjoyed it. So Mikey and John, title of you guys, thanks very much for listening. Laura, my wife, not really get as much a shout out for you because you made it in about half an hour and fell asleep. So <laughs> get that right up, yeah. Thanks to Ashley, who's going to be doing the editing. Daniel, you said editing's no your favourite task and I've done it for years and I don't ever want to do it again. So that that's a massive thank you to her for, for taking this and listening to us talking shite such a huge thank you to you cheers guys for all the, the people that have listened as well thanks for the feedback we're always open for it as well we want to make this better we, we want to keep doing this and we really appreciate any listens that we get so thanks guys I just to echo that has been a lot of fun thanks also to Ashley Craig you can tell her personally Aye. that we are very very appreciative of her doing it at the end of the day we've not put this anywhere that we're going to try and profit off it we're doing this because we enjoy it And we... wait what what <laughs> you're not getting paid <laughs> mate I've already quit my job <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean though this is we're doing this because we'll want to sit down and talk about music and if we want to record it and anybody wants to listen then we do appreciate that so I thanks very much this has been a lot of fun definitely I just want to echo what the guys have said anybody that takes time to listen to us three bump one gum has uh, our appreciation and sometimes our sympathy <laughs> particularly Ash who's one of the encouraging people in my life really good editor too we're in good hands guys and it's going to be great thanks for listening thanks for you guys letting me ramble on happy days always a pleasure mate excellent final verdict is that the Black Parade is the better of the two albums I, uh, for all the people that were humming and hawing about it it's the Black Parade <laughs> <laughs> right yo well uh, thanks very much for listening enjoy I don't know the rest of your lives who knows how it'll be before we record another one Cheezo <laughs> <laughs> enjoy the remaining days that you have left <laughs> see, you, see you next year <laughs> bye see you later guys